0: And Al Warren, heard on KCW, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM
2: Palm Springs. Okay, you are back in the House of Mystery. And I'm Al Warren. And of course, uh, somewhere lurking around in his dress, we got <laughs> Mr. Dave Martino uh, hanging. I'm lurking around, Al. Yeah. Lurking. It's good to be here. Lurking. Have you been lurking? You like lurking. I know. I do. I've heard that. <laughs> there's, there's a whole website um, dedicated to lurkers, and I think you're. I'm on it. You've got a badge. <laughs> <laughs> you've got a badge. You're up in the top there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so, Super Bowl, did you watch it or not? I did not. But LA won, right? <laughs> so that's a good thing yeah i mean it's yeah. a good thing i guess i just yeah, yeah I, you know i'm not a sports guy anyway so no i'm not but, really it didn't i like me. baseball better but yeah well you know but it was good so at least they yeah. won and they won it was awesome it's all it's all all good and uh I, I hear Our about, la listeners are happy yeah i hear a lot about the halftime show with snoop dogg and oh
1: yeah i didn't hear much about it but
2: yeah it's people either love it or hate it or yeah. well, since so they said it was snoop dogg and it was dr dre and M and okay. Mary, Mary yeah. J. Blige and all this. I mean, and they say people over 50 thought it was a great show and people under 30 were saying, who, who are these? Who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. see that. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. It's all the same to me. <laughs> uh, seemed all right, but I don't watch the football thing anyway. so um, yeah. Anyway, talking about balls and, and football <laughs> um, and dresses and all that. So we've got yeah. an author today who... Uh, It's got a new book out uh called Mainly Angst. And now so just so you know, that's not mainly as in M A M A I N L Y. It's mainly. As in the state, mainly angst. There you go. Isn't that clever? So Mr. Matt Cost, uh thank you for being on the show.
3: Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here, Al. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, like I said, we'll see how it is at the end. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see if he hangs up and runs. Yeah. No. Uh, so, Matt, um, wow, you've got, it uh, looks like quite a few books here. Like you've um, you've been doing this a little while. Um, it's, I find that interesting. Where, when did you decide to start writing?
3: Um, I've actually been writing, you know, all my life, but I wrote my first manuscript straight out of college back in 1990 uh historical fiction about Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution. And I realized uh several things at that point. One was I was a really a terrible writer. Um <laughs> I had to do more research and I really should visit Cuba. So it kind of hit a dusty bottom shelf and I worked on my writing and I, you know, lived life and raised kids and had jobs, owned businesses and things like that. Until finally I got a chance to visit Cuba and I came back and finished that up and found a publisher for it, and it was published in uh, March of 2020. There you go.
2: You know, in a writer, I always like to find out why you chose to go into writing where you want it to publish it for people to read.
3: Um, so the, the, the question is, why do I want people to read it? I guess.
2: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but you know, the thing is like, so you're sitting down, like I write books too. And so does Dave, but, there, there has to be some, some initial thing in your life somewhere that all of a sudden goes, well, this should be published, or I want to publish this for people to read, rather than just write for yourself.
3: Yeah, no, I guess, you know, I certainly would like the accolades of people liking my book or, you know, occasionally critiquing it so I can get angry with them or things like that. Uh, I do feel that I... Have a underlying motive to most of my books, where not only am I learning something, I'm trying to impart something to other people. Certainly, with my historicals, one set during Reconstruction after the Civil War, one about Fidel Castro, another on the Civil War. But even my mysteries always have uh, some underlying social theme, mainly angst. You know, being the one that we're talking about today you know, sort of spawns from the concept of, you know, the beginning of COVID and the pandemic. And I really didn't want to write about it because everybody said, you can't do it. Everybody's too upset. And I just couldn't stop myself. So I did, and it was based on, you know, the concept of the governor of Maine and the government of Maine shutting down local businesses during the beginning of the pandemic and having masking requirements and things like that. And that's the angst. And I try and showcase both sides because, you know, obviously for health reasons, we should have been careful and we should have shut things down. But it's also very difficult for the business owners. So that angst is something that I'm trying to bring across in that book and, uh, you know, send a social message, if you will. So I guess that's why I might like to have people read my work.
2: So there's there's much more than just the top story you're talking about. There's a meaning behind this book. um, Besides besides the drama parts, you you want people to take away that.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd really like people to delve into it. And I try very hard not to, you know, have too much of a point of view of my own. You know, obviously, my protagonist is going to have his viewpoint. But I do try and, you know, showcase both sides because I think every story does have two sides. And, you know, I just want to get people thinking about that. Um, And so it's it's a conversation starter, if you will.
2: Are you worried about tackling this kind of a subject in the current, let's say, um, political climate? of the U.S. And, and even other countries, just this, this idea of um, mandates and and uh, masks and, and all of this anxiety that comes with this whole pandemic. And and it, because I it just it seems like people are easy to draw a conclusion. So they're easy to say, oh, that's just leftist or that's just right ring stuff. Like it's easy for them to just write you off without really going through the whole details of the book. Does it it sort of concern you a little bit?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, on several different levels, obviously there are going to be people that read this book that are going to, you know, disagree with the theme of it or, you know, how certain people are portrayed or anything like that. And, you know, they're going to tear it apart and critique it and, you know, dislike it. Um, But, you know, as mainly angst gets into it's a really the the whole COVID and the pandemic has become a powder keg out there and it doesn't take much more than a spark. So, you know, I, I could see people truly getting angry with me. You know, there's been celebrities that have said things that have, you know, had death threats made against them. So I, I hope it doesn't go that far.
2: <laughs> well, we'll give them your phone
1: number.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you.
1: Well, was it hard to live through the pandemic and also go and and write about it for long periods of time?
3: Um, No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, as you probably did, living through the pandemic meant but not really leaving your house for long periods of time. So what else are you going to do except write? I know that I have a lot of writer friends that really had a hard time focusing because they were all caught up in the news and the social media and, you know, surrounding it and the hype, but that really didn't happen to me. I've actually been incredibly productive over uh, the course of the pandemic. You know, As I told you, my first traditionally published book, I Am Cuba, about Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution came out right at the beginning of the pandemic. In March of 2020, I've since published seven other books with my publisher, Um, another historical and uh, two in uh, one mystery series. And I just uh, mainly angst is the fourth in my mainly mystery series.
2: Well, you're just really tackling all these (laughs)
3: subjects.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just, uh, you know, and and to top it off in this mainly angst, you've also got... uh, um, covering sexual harassment, right, in the book?
3: Uh, that 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 is one thread. It's certainly not the main thread, but it's one thread in the book. And it's, you know, just another uh, political hot topic, not, not political, social hot topic uh, that is out there in the world today. And just, I believe, adds to all the angst as, you know, certain people don't, you know, feel like, Certain things are sexual harassment and, you know, there's the new uh, generation of people that are trying to educate us older people that, yes, that is sexual harassment. And, uh, you know, people get very uptight and there's a real divide in our country, whether it be on the pandemic or sexual harassment or politics or, you know, gun legislation. So it's, it's pretty lively down here in the United States now. (laughs) (laughs)
2: well it always has been i think it just it just how much it goes in waves i think up and down you're not writing like this book or books covering these topics to particularly say to someone um yes you know wear a mask and mandates or you're not trying to say no you're not trying to really give them tell them what they should think you're just sort of writing it from a point of view of people involved in it right
3: right you know you know my protagonist in this series goth langdon probably carries a lot of my own viewpoints and i try not to be overbearing with them but i do try and showcase you know other sides and other viewpoints um you know there's certain things like you know at the height of the pandemic wearing a mask into a busy establishment seems to just make sense and i Can't really understand the opposing viewpoint on that. But something a little more complicated is a small business owner who has to shut down for three, four, five months and has no income because of the pandemic. And, you know, they want to continue, you know, making a living and feeding their family. And so, you know, it's not really safe for them to be open, but it's not really safe for them not to be. It's a real. You know conundrum there.
2: Yeah, it's, it gets messy, you know, and um, I, I'm sort of surprised about how much anger there is uh, on things where a lot of people are not really educated into a field enough to be so angry. You know, um, I, I, I don't quite get it. How do you how do you get your opposing points of view? Like when you're saying you're the protagonist, and a lot of that is you going through that that protagonist but when you have the opposing points of view where does that come from is that from people you know yourself that you kind of get out there and talk to to find out how they feel about things
3: um i guess there is some of them um there's not a whole lot of people with wildly divergent points of view that i talk with on a regular basis i Unfortunately, I think we often get into our little cocoon of our own worlds and uh, surround ourselves with like people, and we should probably try and get out of that cocoon a little bit more, and um, I'm probably at fault for doing that. But uh, that being said, you know, there's plenty of news outlets out there that are spouting the the opposing point of view and, you know, internet researches and uh, things like that, so...
2: Well, we can get you on the mailing list. I get quite a few <laughs> e- emails saying things, to, you know, and you could get to know some people.
3: You know? It's uh, uh,
2: quite quite wild Is points this of hate view. mail
3: we're talking about.
2: Well, there's that too, but there's also some really wild points of view, you know, people accusing me of working for the some agency. And there's there, there's a, there's a lot of points of view about this uh pandemic, you know, and Things around it. Yeah, so, no,
3: I, I throw know. some of them into mainly angst for sure and go, you know, showcase some of the extremists of QAnon and things like that and, you know, <laughs> searching for crumbs to, you know, <laughs> of what Q really wants and this and that. And I forget what they're called off the top of my head, but once you become a master crumb finder, you know, it's like people believe this.
2: I, I wonder why that is. <laughs> You know, I just wonder what, what, what someone goes so deep into it. And so many people, you know, they're, they're down in Dallas waiting for JFK Jr. to come
3: back. I Yeah, <laughs> well, I was going to say JFK, but, you know, you've also written a book about cults and doomsday cults. And uh, I know that my second Clay Wolf book is about cults called Mind Trap. And it's a real thing out there how there's a lot of cults and a lot of... Uh, People that are believing some pretty crazy things, as you know. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I just don't get where it, it comes from, the need to do that. Like you're living a normal life and then, you know, working and doing whatever. And then all of a sudden, well, I'm going to go start hanging out with the Q, Q people. <laughs> I, I I just, you know.
3: Well, Al, Al, know maybe where... it's because the normal life is boring. People <laughs> well, want to get out, be, and experiment guess. a little bit, I guess, and live on the edge. You know, put <laughs> yeah, buffalo but, horns on their head and break into a Capitol building or something like that.
2: Yeah, but be like Dave. Wear a dress. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Do something that you know is not normal and just go out and start scraping your car wearing a dress. And people, yeah, you
3: know, wow. he, he might have to wait for it to warm up a little bit before he does that. Oh, oh yeah. big
2: time. yeah i guess i don't know um it's kind of it's kind of strange so what 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 was it at the core that made you decide to write mainly angst was there was it the story was it the characters you're trying to develop you know because you say this is the 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 langdon mainly mystery book four so this is the fourth book so maybe let's talk about the um the series in itself Where did it all start for you to write a series like this?
3: Um, I I, I guess it started, uh, I was a business owner in Brunswick, my hometown. And I got to thinking that, you know, I wanted to write something that was a little closer to home at the time uh, because I'd struggled with the I Am Cuba Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution book because I'd never been to Cuba which I finally managed to do in 2016 and complete that book. But in the meantime, I worked on some drafts of uh, a mystery bookstore owner slash private investigator, and it's actually based upon a mystery bookstore that I owned in the town of Brunswick at the time that I started writing that draft, and I also owned some other businesses in town, so it kind of... I was very invested into Brunswick and I was able to write, you know, very sincerely about it, I thought. And, you know, my writing still needed some work, so, you know, they had to be remastered after I found a publisher and, you know, heavily edited. But uh, then finally I got them into a place where they were good to be published, and I went with that. So, you know, the first one, mainly power revolves around a problem at a nuclear power plant and uh, that came from the idea that uh, I was talking to somebody in a bar and he was a clammer, and he told me that he could walk into right up to the, you know, the doors of Maine Yankee in Wiscasset in Maine and uh, there was no very little security. As a matter of fact, I was saying this on a Another uh, radio show, main colleague and the head of security of Maine Yankee called up and said, that's not true and disagreed with me. So if you get any phone calls during uh, <laughs> the show next Monday night, uh, we could say that. But uh, it was true. I had a lot of people back that up that, you know, there's very little security at a nuclear power plant. So that was the premise for that one. And, you know, I went on to, you know, mainly fear and then uh, last year mainly money and uh, finally mainly angst and I'm currently writing the fifth one in the series called mainly wicked which started with just the title I like the title so I've been shaping the story around the title
1: well did you have to do a lot of research into in private investigations to uh, be able to write these books
3: um, absolutely Um more so with my other series, my Golf Langdon character is a little bit more of an amateur sleigh where he is a PI, does have his license, but he's a mystery bookstore owner and doesn't have the street cred that uh, my Clay Wolf character does in my other book who is a former Boston homicide detective. And uh, so uh, definitely have to do research. And um, you know, read all those Bruce Robert Coffin books of John Byron and things like that and uh, <laughs> try and learn uh, more about uh, the world of the PI or, you know, one of the things that's really hard to get into is the interaction of the PI with the police department or with the uh, state police yeah. and uh, try and find out what lines would be drawn there. So that, that is difficult and does take a lot of research.
2: Or did you want to be a PI yourself?
3: No, no, I don't. I'm, I'm not quite sure where that came from. I guess I always loved mystery books, and that's why I did open a mystery bookstore in Brunswick. You know, starting out with the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, and uh, you know, the Great Brain and Cyclopedia Brown, and you know, working my way up through to Elmore Leonard and Carl Hyacin and Robert Parker. So I've always loved mysteries, but I don't think I ever wanted to be a PI myself.
2: You don't walk around with one of those Sherlock Holmes jackets on. <laughs> and, a hat and
3: Well, I, I've got the hat and the pipe, just not the jacket. Yeah. <laughs> magnifying glass. Yeah, yeah magnifying <laughs> glass. Indeed.
2: You know, it's pretty interesting. So do you like uh, when I, we, we talk to a lot of different writers, of course, and it seems like um, British mystery detectives, they, they, they're different than American ones. Like, um, British tend to focus more on, on a society behavior or uh, the mystery isn't something people do. Um, but American tends to be a little bit different than that, according to them anyway, when we talk to them. Um, do you, do you find a difference between American or British mystery detectives?
3: You know, it's such a, difficult genre to pinpoint, you know, from mystery, detective, thriller, suspense, cozy British, UK, that, you know, there's a lot of little tiny niches within each and everything. And I guess I would say that the British detectives uh, do focus a little bit more on social issues, perhaps, than the crime itself, um, and that... But I, I, I'm not really sure. I guess I'm not an expert on British writers. uh, I'm not sure.
2: Oh, that's (laughs) that's fine. I just you know. (laughs) So, uh, where do you get your characters to, like, because you're doing this over books of four, four, and so when you throw characters in outside of the main character, um, where do they come from, and are they there just for one book and? to interact with a certain subject? um, Or do you carry them through too?
3: Um, I mean, I have started my series with a core cast of characters. I like to uh, sort of surround my protagonist with a few colorful characters that, uh, you know, bring some comedy or some intensity to the book and kind of round it out in that way. And then, as I progress through the series, there are have been additions made to that. Um, sometimes people die, and there's subtractions to that. So you know, we 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 gain a new regular, or we lose a regular, uh, usually to death. Um, and then you know, the one and done people tend to be more of you know the perhaps who's come to hire the PI. Or the villains themselves, which hopefully are caught and you know put away in jail, so they don't return. Maybe 20 years down the road, when they get out of jail, or uh, turns out they weren't really killed, they'll you know resurface in a book. But uh, um, and you know, I, I, I guess a lot of those villains are based upon people that anger me. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, just be careful.
1: That's right. You get written in the next book.
3: (laughs) You know, these people write reviews on Goodreads or Amazon or some sort of thing. And, you know, if they get a little too aggressive, they might just end up in my books.
2: (laughs) At least it's just your books with me. I hunt them down. He does.
1: Well, I'm wondering, how do you experience your characters? Uh, Do you have an inner monologue, or, you know, is it something where you hear your characters? Is it more visual for you? I'm just trying to find out if you hear voices.
3: (laughs) Well, I definitely hear voices. Mm, Me too. (laughs) Um, I I think it's very internal. Well, it's both, because I I often will... uh, find an image of my character that matches up what I think and I'll copy and paste it and you know maybe even print it out and put it on my wall so that I have a visual to look to to Mm -hmm. refresh myself when I'm thinking of what they look like Uh, but what they're thinking you know I try and get into character like them a little bit I guess sort of like a uh, Radio personality such as yourself, you know, that has to, <laughs> you know, of days of old, which tell a whole story and change voices, or an audiobook person uh, with each character. I, I, I try and develop that in my head and, you know, stay true to it as I work through it.
1: Kind of like acting.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Or do you, do you do you find yourself acting out the scenes?
3: No, I, I, I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> well yeah. some
2: people do. Some people yeah, they, yeah. they all even dress up. Yeah, no, like
3: I was in a dress, you know, know, scraping the ice off my car the other day, you know, just to get into <laughs> character. <laughs> Me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah,
2: that'll, that'll be the day. He, no, if the if it's too cold to drink whiskey, he's not out there.
3: That's right. I thought he was a Scotch drinker.
2: Well. Any whiskey, (laughs) anything, any brown
3: liquor, anything. My characters are all big (laughs) brown liquor drinkers, so (laughs) perfect.
2: Boat gas. Um, (laughs) So now you do not have to buy all the books, like in the sense that, of course, you want people to buy them all. But um, if you pick up mainly angst. Yeah, it's a story that sits on itself, right? It relies, it doesn't need, you don't need to have had the read, read the three books yeah, before.
3: A- absolutely. There is no to be continued at the end of any book. Um, you know, I guess I would recommend, you know, if you were consciously thinking about it, that you start with the first book, because one thing that does develop along the way is the characters, and you get to know not only the protagonist, but the surrounding cast of characters and grow with them as you go book to book. But, you you know, if you started with the fourth book, you wouldn't even.
0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
3: I noticed that you'd missed the first three.
0: Right, right. It just gives you more
2: detail, I guess. You get to know the character better, right? Yeah. Um, Now, so do you have this outline? Do you know ahead of time what's going to happen to your character, like before you even do the books? And you say you're working on the fifth one. So do you kind of have things plotted out like you know where it's going to end and these books are just taking you there
3: yeah that that age-old question of the plotter versus the pants are flying by the seat of your pants and you know i I certainly am a combination of the two uh often i will develop an outline but i won't fill in the outline until after i've read written the chapter often and that outline becomes more something for me to check back on and keep track, and say, you know, what did this person say back in, you know, chapter three, <laughs> so that I can keep true to it in chapter twenty-three, uh, sort of thing. But as I develop through the book, it usually starts with just an idea that gets me off and running, and I'll write that first chapter to just get things happening. But then I, uh, in my mind, I have the book broken into eight parts. And in each one of those eight parts, something has to go down, something has to happen. You know, there's got to be, you know, whether it's the midpoint where the character, the protagonist has a bigger understanding of the case that he's involved in, or it's one of the pinch points that, you know, the second eighth of the book where the antagonist has to flex their muscles and you know, or perhaps put the protagonist up a tree and back against the wall. So uh, what I like to do is I like to know what that big point is going to be at maybe the one quarter way through the book and drive towards that. It gives me a goal. And then when I get there, I said, okay, what's going to be the next eighth of the book? What's going to be the big thing that drives me towards that? So. You know, I do books in eights.
1: Well, when you're running by the seat of your pants, when you're at that portion, have you ever had a character do anything to surprise you? Have they kind of, you know, rebelled against the plot or or done anything like that?
3: I, you know, I told you I'm currently working on the fifth book in the Mainly Mystery series called Mainly Wicked. And I just got past the halfway point uh, recently. And I said, oh, whoa, that's who the antagonist is. Yep. (laughs) You know, I didn't even know until, you know, over halfway into the book. And I said, that's who it is. It's not this person after all. It's this person. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely.
2: I guess because you had your own bookstore. So do you you take a lot of things that happened to you there to put put the, into this story or relatable or I bet there were some real interesting characters coming into a bookstore.
3: Um, absolutely you know I, I owned a bookstore I owned a video store back when there were still videos and uh, I owned a gym oh. so in Brunswick I pretty much knew all the characters. Um, the bookstore tended to be you know a little more respectable crowd but when you own a video store, you really get some characters coming through there, and I, <laughs> I had quite a few stories <laughs> from that. So that, that probably spawned a few more characters than the bookstore did.
2: Well, I can imagine. Did you have like little rooms too in your bookstore? <laughs> Sorry, <for
3: that. laughs>
2: Sorry, I had to. I mean, I,
3: I, I think tainted. you know the answer to that, Al. I, I believe you were in <laughs> one of them once, weren't you?
2: Oh God, no, no. <laughs> I would, but no, I'm not that i i I do anything but video stores I can't do that i'm I have more respectful than that <laughs> yeah, um well, now that we've talked about that now um,
3: <laughs> I think I heard David snicker over there when you said respectful who <laughs> made
2: <laughs> well, you know, I have my moments, but um. I was in Paris once, but uh, that's another, <laughs> that's another, um, when you, when you sit down to write this, but I, I wonder now, can you just do it, um, in a planned time? Can you just go, okay, well, I'm going to write today nine to five, or do you have to be in a mood? Like you have to be sitting in your video store and in a mood to do it.
3: Um, I write every day. Um, I write, you know, seven days a week. Um, and the absolute rule of thumb is, I get up in the morning, I get a cup of coffee, and then I start writing. And you know, so I'm usually writing by 6.30, 7 o'clock. And by 10, 11 o'clock, I got three or four hours in. And if things are going well and I don't have other things going on, you know, if I'm not promoting or marketing or editing or doing something else, I will perhaps take a break, walk the dogs, eat lunch and come back to it. Uh, but if I don't get back to it, I got my three or four hours in and I find that very important in my writing. If I take two or three days off or you know even longer, but two or three days is enough to break the flow and I have to go back and figure out where I was and what people were doing and what was happening and that's just a, a real time waste.
2: When you're when you're bringing characters in, like you talked about the governor of Maine and do so, are you do you use the real people that are alive in that job?
3: No, no, I, I try not to absolutely, but you know the characteristics are going to hold true. Seeing as you know this was a COVID decision, and, you know the governor is who they were, so somebody could jump to conclusions. Um, you know. And, you know, in my third book, Mainly Money, you know, I threw in a United States senator who is being blackmailed and people might jump to conclusions as to who that is. And I try and, you know, change it up enough so that's not the person, uh, even if they really is the person, just because I'm trying to avoid being sued.
2: Well, yeah, I'm being shocked. I'll, just, I'll tell you, you know. This is why you're moved away. It's like it's safety.
3: Yeah, no, yeah. it's just for the winter. I'll, I'll be back, back in the spring.
2: Well, you think you'll be back. <laughs> so is there, a, is there like a point to the series? Is there something you want people to get out of it particularly? Um, other than, okay, so we talked about some of the points of view like for instance in the angst book it's about uh pandemic and kind of the different views going on around the mandates and stuff stuff that you know that are surrounding this topic and you talked about mainly money and some of these some of these books so is is there a big picture here is there something that you hope people take away
3: um i I wouldn't say that there's an overall arching theme that i hope people take away but in each book, I try and present something. So my other series is the Claywolf Port Essex series, which is also set in Maine, but this is in a fictional coastal town in Maine. And you know, the first book is heroin being trafficked through uh, lobster traps off the coast. The second one is uh, cults, which I mentioned earlier, and the cult that is threatening the town and is pretty much a doomsday cult. And uh, the third one coming out in April is about genome editing and the things that are going on with that right now. Actually, I'm reading a Michael Connolly book right now that's touching a lot of, a lot of the same things. So I'm finding that pretty fascinating. And uh, then, you know, uh, coming up in September is the fourth book in that series, which delves into unexplained aerial phenomena, which has become a big thing. And that's, you know, called UAPs because that's harder to remember than UFOs. But basically it's the whole UFO <laughs> thing. And, you know, we've developed a branch of the government tasked with investigating these unexplained aerial phenomenon that are happening all over the place.
2: Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> um, now, I noticed you had like, OK, so you have another series with that, that use Clay Wolf, Port Essex Mystery and stuff like that. And... Bruce Robert Coffin says, "His twisted and chilling tale." Um, <laughs> did you have to pay him for that, or what? Just
3: <laughs> oh, I, That's, uh, every time I see him, I still have to buy him another beer. Yeah. It's a standing, you know. I, I think it's three drinks per uh, visit. So whenever we run into each other, I, I owe him for that one.
2: <laughs> well, so you are really kind of getting out there on all this and that's that's another um sort of detective isn't it series
3: yes yes that's you know that the the clay wolf port essex verge is a little more towards thriller suspense whereas the uh, goff langdon mainly mystery series is more straight up mystery detective and then you know as i told you i'd Wrote some historicals, so recently I decided to blend those and I'll have a book coming out next year Which has been completed and I'm on my final edits for it uh, Which is called Velma Rai, and it's set in Brooklyn uh, In 1923 So it's a historical mystery and A fascinating time period as I'm sure you discovered as you got into Leopold and Loeb in 1924 Chicago
2: yeah. Do you So do you kind of, when you do that sort of thing, um, do you do you kind of do it as a historical fiction? Do you kind of take a little bit of ad lib on, on some of the stuff or do you do it?
3: I, I, I wrote two historical novels, one on Joshua Chamberlain in the Civil War and one on Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution that are, you know, almost 100 percent accurate and this putting some dialogue in where it might not have been known and uh, such, not things like that. Uh, My last historical was set in New Orleans after the Civil War, during the time of Reconstruction, and I started to veer more towards fiction with that and have a murder mystery woven in to a lot of the politics of the time that uh, this murder mystery did not actually happen as well as some of the uh, other characters, a few more fictional characters, and this uh, 1923 Brooklyn book is really, you know, set in a real place, And uh, but many, most of the characters are fictional, and the story itself is fictional, but I am having fun, I did have fun weaving in, you know, characters of the day, such as Meyer Lansky and Bugsy Seagull and Dorothy Parker and, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald. And so it, it was fun to delve into some of those real life people and wind them into my tale.
1: Well, how do you get into the mind of your historical characters, whether they're fictional or uh, real life people?
3: You know, I, I mean... You have to read a lot about the time period to preload, I think. And you have Mm. to, you know, see the images and understand the people and how they dressed and how they spoke to, to get into the fictional characters' minds. But somebody like Dorothy Parker was just a treasure trove of wonderful information because she has so many quotes that... Just about any time I wanted her to say something, I could pluck something she'd actually said and put it into place, and it fit, you know, like a puzzle piece. So uh, certain things like that are good. You know, when I'm getting into Bugsy Seagull, I'm glad that he's no longer alive, or he'd probably be coming after me with the rest of the people that I'm (laughs) (laughs) angering.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. But, you know, when you were talking about the... Writing in in around the Civil War and Reconstruction, I I wonder what do you what do you think that mindset? Because even today, and even if you watch movies through the '60s and '70s and John Wayne and all that, there was still a real positive spin on Confederacy and and the whole Southern movement. I guess you'd say. And and why do you think that is?
3: Ooh, and that we must be getting to the end of the show. You're really coming after me with the tough ones now, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: when we get into the meat. Uh
3: you know, I don't know, you know, it's I'm kind of being faced with that. As I told you, I'm on relocation down here in North Carolina, and there's certainly more of that you know, Southern heritage and Confederacy and Confederate flag pride down here than there is up in New England. Uh, so, you know, trying to understand all of that uh, is, is a difficult one. But, um, you know, it's it's hard for me to put myself in somebody's place who where I didn't grow up. You know, I didn't grow up in a small town in Alabama, you know. So how do I know you know, what culture has brought them up. And I feel like too often that the United States has become divided between that North and South, that Mason-Dixon line. So it's a difficult yeah, thing. Yeah.
2: yeah, It's kind of, it's, it's just kind of weird. I, I just don't quite get where someone comes from when they're in that frame of mind. Um, I guess it's just the, the way of life of Southern before i guess that's just something that yeah it's kind of unusual but um and fidel castro now that's kind of a dicey character and a person to to kind of study a a lot um another controversial person as well right so um what was your research with this guy like? Were you, did you go hang out with Fidel?
3: <laughs> Actually, I <laughs> was supposed to be in uh, Santiago at the Santa Iphigenia Cemetery the day he was buried, uh, on the ninth day of mourning in Cuba. But I got bumped off my plane for somebody more important, so I didn't get there till the next day, which was probably fine because the crowds were all gone, and I got to go see the big rock that was the monument to Fidel. Um, but my book on Fidel is the actual revolution from 1953 to 1959. and I end it on January 8, 1959. And at that point, Fidel Castro is a rock star. The entire world loves him. The US loves him, except for you know a few people that are worried about what he's going to do. And it's only after he starts uh, nationalizing American interests because American businesses had taken over most of the country and kind of angers United Fruit, which, you know, the board of directors at that point of United Fruit were the Dulles brothers, who were the Secretary of State of the United States of America and the head of the CIA. So those were two wrong people to make enemies of, I guess. And so. That started started to push away from the United States and uh, had to embrace Russia, but that's kind of another book if I ever write it. But you know, when I finish my book, everybody loves Fidel, (laughs) except for Batista, who he overthrew and you know, kicked exiled out of the country and. You know, soon after, you know, some of the wealthy 1% of Cubans are going to discover that they're also being exiled and they're going to, you know, end up in the Miami area and have this deep anger. So I guess coming back to your question is the research on that was uh, really interesting because most of what we know of the Cuban Revolution was broken into two parts uh these cuban exiles in the united states in the miami area who had the deep hatred of fidel castro gave their version and then fidel castro gave his version which was carefully manipulated to make himself look like a messiah so i don't think there's been any topic of ever researched where you know the research material was so polarized and so opposite and so far apart and finding the middle ground or the truth between those two camps of thought was what well, was a difficult task.
2: Oh, I bet, you know, yeah, it, it, that's just you know, craziness, that whole the whole thing. And it's hard because as time passes by. Um, the world's changed so much and there's not not anybody still alive and certain things have happened, you know, it's weird weird. Um, how do you like um, social media, or do you? Are you involved in uh, Facebook and Twitter and I, TikTok?
3: I probably shouldn't say that I hate it, but uh, I, I dislike a lot of aspects of it, and part of that is is because I'm forced to use a lot of aspects of it and promoting myself and marketing myself and uh, spending more time on it than I'd like to. I guess if I could, you know, Scroll through for five or ten minutes in the morning and call it good. I, I'd be fine with that, but uh, uh, I, I try and use, you know, social media a little bit more to promote myself. Uh, I delved into TikTok just a little bit, but that was a little too overwhelming for me, and I figured if I wasn't a seventeen-year-old, um, and the other. You know, the book talks on TikTok are, you know, youngsters, you know, throwing tantrums and throwing books against the wall, and it gets two million views, and the book becomes a bestseller. So, <laughs> I, I couldn't quite figure that game out myself. So,
2: oh, just get on TikTok and throw some book. <laughs> Take one of my books and say this is trash, and throw it against the. Okay. Jump up and down and yeah. scream and. Have a dog in there, too, and it's just, it'll be yep. just
3: fantastic. I'll, I'll you know? rip up Leopold like, and Loeb. And...
2: Yeah, just do it. <laughs> just, yeah, you know, probably,
3: I mean, they will send you right to the top of the charts if I could, you know, figure out how to get anybody to watch it other than myself.
2: Well, just have it film it in the bathroom. You're sitting on the toilet and you're using my book as, <laughs> as, as toilet paper.
3: How's that? Okay. <laughs> well We'll give it a shot. You know, and, you talk feed later tonight, Al. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, I'll be looking. This is great. This is exciting. I have something to look forward to now at night. Um, well, no, that's it's, it's interesting how you know how it's changed the world, but we kind of need it. We need that social media and stuff. Do you do you like the the way too, that you can get reviews directly right on? Like people can just go on Goodreads and say, Oh, this is awful this guy can't write or this guy's great and stuff like that do you kind of do you follow your reviews
3: um i i, I will periodically check them and you know see what the new ones are and you know whatnot. not i i think overall it's a good thing um you know but it there's, there's always the horror stories i recently re- realized that uh the first three books of my mainly mystery series had been reviewed by this one person who uh, gave it all three copies, one to two stars. And I, uh, when I realized that, I was able to message them on it. And, you know, Usually I don't start a fight with somebody who's critiquing me because that's always bad form. And this wasn't really a fight. I just said, please stop reading my books. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like them... Uh, and and I understand that not every book is for every person, you know. It's, uh, th- there's plenty of books that are finally written that I don't enjoy, but I'm not going to keep reading the series if I hate it.
2: That <laughs> seems to be trending, right? <laughs> so p- people like to be in that. They want to be angry about something. So, you know, yep. it just kind of goes with it, you know. So they, they want to be upset. When when I'm upset, I read a Matt Goss book.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or they don't, they don't even read it. They just go on and put one star down.
2: <laughs> yeah, when in doubt, be mad. I don't know. It's kind of a strange world and stuff. So are you running a website now, too? Do you have a website people can go
3: to? Yeah, I do. It's you know, the net.
2: Oh, that's an easy one. We'll have that up on our website as well. People can find you with one click and stuff. So it's interesting you writing about COVID during COVID. And um, did did COVID affect your writing in any way?
3: Um, You know, I I got into it a little bit with you. and The fact that I wasn't so distracted by all that was going on in the news because it was what it was. You know, you could watch 15 minutes of the news and kind of have a grasp of what was going on. And then you could sit down and write and there wasn't a whole lot else going on in life for quite a while. So uh, I wrote profusely and I have been, I've sort of got myself into a trend, like I said, of writing seven days a week, at least three or four hours a day. And uh, I'm kind of at a point where I've got my foot in the door, Al. And uh, I'm trying to throw the door wide open, you know, I'm starting to get some traction with my books and I'm getting, you know, you know I'm getting on the House of Mystery radio program, so I've, I've now That's hit right. big time.
2: Yeah, well, only, it's only up, you know, he will be on, I don't know, something next, who knows.
3: I don't, know, I don't know if there's any step up from here.
2: <laughs> oh, well, no, there
3: isn't. As
2: far as That's radio. Right. You just about well, Joe Rogan. He's looking for people. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might not like what he talks about, but
3: you know he might not and, uh, like what I talk about either, right?
2: Yeah, but you know, as long as you're on there, you, again that love to hate thing, you know. So, well, it's funny. So stressful things when th- when it's really stressful outside your house, it doesn't bother you. Like if things are. Um upsetting or stuff like that? It, you can still write? It doesn't change your mood?
3: It uh, doesn't really change my mood. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it changes my mood. You know, I sometimes walk around cursing at people and uh, dumb things that have been written or, or on the news or posted on Facebook or said, you know, within my hearing distance. But, you know, what are you going to do about it? Right? And perhaps that's the beauty of writing fiction is delving into the story that you want to tell and um, not having to deal with the one that you don't want to.
2: Killing off the characters you don't like.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, unfortunately, the the worst part is killing the characters you do like, but you got to do that every once in a while.
2: Well, just they'll come back. It was
3: just a dream. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I haven't I haven't got into that one yet, but I'll, I'll I'll think about using it. There's still people that come up and, you know, like I'll walk by and they'll punch me in the face and they say, that's for, you know, Peppermint Patty and Book One. Please,
2: <laughs> you know, uh, you got to hide. you got to dress up differently, <laughs> you know. Anyway, well, it's certainly been an interesting hour and we appreciate you coming on, you know. This has been... Uh, enlightening we learned a lot
3: well thanks for having me alan david (laughs) good talking to you both and uh uh, thank you
2: yeah now the book we are talking about this is something that you need to get out and buy i mean if you don't buy this stop listening okay um so the book is mainly angst and it's by the one and only matt cost who was our guest thanks a lot
3: and if you don't like it don't review it (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino movie reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com.
3: Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me?
0: Well, good night. This has been a
2: production
0: of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.
2: Hey, folks, I'm Mark Maron from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues
0: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts,